Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences, and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years' experience of mental health, disability, and human behavior. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Hi, and welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast. And oh, I'm super excited today because I have someone I've known really long time, is that right to say? So I have Dr. Michelle Gregory with me today. I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about what's brought her on today. Hi, Michelle. Hi Tara, so I'm uh, Dr Michelle Gregory, I'm a clinical psychologist and you knew me when I was in my final year of training. In, I do, yes. In Croydon, that's very exciting. So, Lovely Croydon, happy days, happy days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so my area of expertise, my area of passion and specialism is functional neurological disorder as well as on COVID and also thinking around the complexities around that particularly, how that influences uh, women and non-binary people or people of colour or neurodiverse or how that interacts with neurodiversity. That's kind of my back. And yeah, yeah. So, um, and, and just thinking about just health inequalities can sometimes be exacerbated and they, anything thinking around the mind brain body connections is sort of my thing I love it and I love brain body connection because it's really good for the public to start to understand these links to be able to make sense of what they experience and where there may be some roadblocks in that so there may be some people listening yes who kind of go well fnd what exactly is that and we were talking before we hit record weren't we about actually sometimes it's useful to know what it is but what it isn't because there's a lot of kind of misunderstanding i feel around what fnd is absolutely which uh so functional neurological disorder is the most common neurological condition no one's ever heard of shout out to fnd wow that in itself yeah So about 40% of people um, turning up to outpatient neurology appointments have something called functional neurological disorder. Is that that high? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's common, it's potentially reversible, and there are effective treatments. However, they're not always easily accessible. So what functional neurological disorder means is that the structures of the brain are healthy, the structures of your muscles are healthy, but the connections between your what your brain's telling your body to do and what your body's telling your brain have gone a bit wonky essentially there's a technical like technical term for that so it's essentially it's not a hardware problem it's a software problem and a software can glitch and essentially it's a disorder of voluntary movement and it can have a really wide range of symptoms so it can include and the symptoms are debilitating and they can be really frightening if you don't know what's going on so they can include paralysis tremor bladder and bowel issues so struggling to either um contain urine or feces or actually like release it as well um there can be vision issues sensory processing issues balance issues um like high levels of tone or like an altered like how people walk it basically it can affect if there is a connection between the brain and the body 
there is something that FND can connect, also non-epileptic seizures as well. Yeah, it's a really broad spectrum, actually, isn't it? And yeah. I think that's something that people maybe don't understand. Yeah, and actually, and you can have multiple symptoms as well. Yes. Functional fix yes. as well is really, particularly for younger people. Back in 2020, 2021, when the pandemic was really, really, yes. difficult, was really difficult, there were lots of yeah. young people presenting with functional tics. Um, and we saw that all over the media, didn't we? And people were yes. saying, "Is this anxiety?" And my thought was like, hmm, is it or is it something different? So one of my bugbears is saying that these complex interactions are just anxiety. And Absolutely. It, and yeah. it brings us on it. So functional neurological disorder is a neuropsychiatric condition. And you have to hold in mind both things. It is both neurological and there are neurological yes. underpinnings to it. But there are also psychological underpinnings to these presentations. So and you get a little bit of a double bubble with me, Tara, because basically I am both, this right. is my area of clinical expertise, but it's also, I've got lived experience as well. So I recovered from FND. I developed it in 2019 and I was fully recovered just before the pandemic hit about 2020. Thank goodness. Which is lovely um, to hear. I'm really glad yeah. about that. And about 40% of people uh, make a recovery in the first year of functional neurological okay. disorder, but getting an accurate diagnosis is key to that yeah it's so important um are about roadblocks is that all right to ask in getting yeah yeah there are huge yeah there are particular roadblocks to it is first of all getting a neurologist who understands yeah. fnd and can and can give a really positive diagnosis so i was really really lucky so i started developing um unusual symptoms so my eyes went really blurry um okay. I couldn't focus them I was at work one day I was having supervision with a trainee and my eyes went really fuzzy and I was like ah oh, that's weird I can't refocus my eyes that's really weird oh. called an ambulance and went down to Worthing A&E and then they while I was waiting my leg started not being able to move and I was like okay that's weird I could feel it I could move my other leg gosh yeah my right leg yeah. couldn't move and I was like that's weird and lasted about five minutes and then I was able to move it again okay. and then I started developing speech issues so my speech became really slurred and dysarthric and like or quite yeah. stuttery and it was really really scary I had no idea what that's was going crazy. on yeah and because we think because basically we're just used to our bodies and speech just yeah doing what we need them to do right and this is where sometimes a little bit of knowledge can actually be worse than none because I was yeah. going through my Rolodex of oh, oh Rolodex how old am I person <laughs> being a psychologist yeah <laughs> what could this be yeah it, is this MS is this Parkinson's is this MND am I am I I, I was yeah I was 34 years old at the time I was like I don't know what this could possibly be I was really lucky. I went to my GP and my GP was of a similar age to me. And she was like, okay, this is serious. Let's go get you on a two-week referral over to uh, to neurology. And I went up and I yes. saw a neurologist at East Surrey, um, Dr. Um, Shrikanthan, and she was just amazing. And she really clearly did, did the neurological test and said, 
I'm going to give you an MRI just to make sure, but I'm almost certain this is FN, this is functional neurological oh. disorder. Do you know what that is? So I was like, heard of it, but just something that's really rare or. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, it, no, not really. And, um, and she explained to me what it was. She said it was not dangerous. She said the, she essentially explained that it was a hardware problem, not a software problem. And she was like, so when the MRI comes back, we will, I'll refer you either, I'll, I'll refer you up to London or I'll refer you down to Brighton for, for rehab. I was like, okay, all right. MRI came back and it was absolutely clear. Do not get me wrong. I still spent a couple of weeks figuring out, trying to figure out how yeah. MRIs were wrong because yeah, which isn't again it's natural response isn't it to something scary and life-altering essentially yeah 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 because I was like well how can because this doesn't fit with the social model of medicine that we are brought up with where the really most serious thing is it should yeah. show up on a scan it should show up on blood tests and there should be a clear treatment plan like definitive you know yes yeah. and so I so the scans came back clear. I got a confirmed diagnosis of functional neurological disorder, and I, and I was referred up to um, St George's. Uh, unfortunately, it was a two-year wait. Yeah. yeah. So if we're thinking about barriers to getting a confirmed diagnosis, I was articulate a white woman with who had similarities to my GP. I looked like my GP and I had a similar educational really background to, yeah. to GP. I also was really lucky with the consultant neurologist that I saw. She really got it and gave me a clear, she didn't go, oh, it could be this, it could be that, let's send you off for lots of different tests. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, this is what it is and I'm giving you an MRI to, not, to help you know that there is nothing structurally wrong with your brain. I'm like, great, yeah. thank you. If you are not white, if you are, um, I, I mean, I was, I think women and non-binary people tend to be, um, our, our pain tends to be overlooked or our symptoms tend to be yes. overlooked. Yeah. I was also able to do my own research and understand that. I also had um, access to psychologists as well who I could kind of ask. So That's a really good point, yeah. 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 Um, and actually one of the most helpful things I had when I was recovering was I was at a associate, I was an associate clinical tutor for Surrey University and Noelle Blake, who we remember from- yeah, um, I know her, yeah. Services. Yeah, she yeah. Uh, was, in one of those meetings when my speech was going and I was like God. just let you know my my speech goes it will sort itself out but just kind of go with it and then she was like oh this this is FND and I was like yeah yeah and she was like I was like have you got any hints or tips you can give me she was like exactly what you've been doing just name it and it'll and it'll pass yes. not avoiding yeah. There, were, there was a certain amount of times where I was avoiding seeing people. Which is understandable and natural. Yeah, yeah, because 
I don't I didn't know because the other thing around functional neurological disorder is that the symptoms can be really unpredictable and they can fluctuate so at its worst I remember lying on my bed not being able to speak and not being able to move any part of my body just what that is like you know how your brain goes into threat mode around that exactly exactly and if I can be a bit geeky about how it's basically yes our brain goes into threat mode because essentially these neurological symptoms are new and they're not understandable why wouldn't your brain go into threat mode and then we and then also so essentially functional neurological disorder is a disorder of attention so what happens is your brain is predisposed particularly when you're in threat mode to pay attention to things that are not working well or not working as you would predict like you're not being able to speak as you would think you would be able to or not being able to move when you or not being able to stop moving if you've got a functional tremor things that we take for granted as you say yeah things that help you do your job or interact or whatever you need to be doing absolutely absolutely and so for me the paralysis wasn't actually the most debilitating symptom it's my speech because that meant I couldn't do my job yeah. yeah and I was like can I be a psychologist if I can't speak I don't know oh who ah it's yeah I genuinely didn't know if I could carry on working and then just how that is for somebody where you really value your career and what you can do for other people absolutely and for many of the people I see, what FND can do is it can, it can act like a bit of a gremlin that almost targets the things that are so meaningful for you. So if you are really sporty and it means that you can't engage in the sport that you love, that can be really difficult. If you are, if you love, if you're, if you love school or college, but the pressure's overwhelming and you can't guarantee you can be in there it's not psychologically safe to be having to then you might have seizures that could be really really over that could be really really overwhelming I was thinking you know things like parenting communicating with your partner friends I know the stuff outside of our kind of construct of who we are in a vocation setting absolutely absolutely it so at the time my daughter was four years old and all we could do at one point was um coloring so we were coloring on the bed she basically spent quite a bit of time on my bed and we were coloring together um and it took me a little while to figure out what movements actually were how things actually got my body back and moving and that was essentially helping my my clever slow brain to just to yeah turn itself off a little bit and trust my body and being able to what we call flow state where you just can switch your breath switch your thinking brain off and trust that your body knows how to do that and for me that was swimming and it was standing it and because swimming you don't have to think about it and being in the water also gives you your body lots and lots of sensory input yeah I knew exactly where my body was I felt really like and then my brain switched off and my body remembered how to swim again and so that was something that we could do together and it was just wonderful and it was lovely trying to find that kind of value and purpose even amongst all of that kind of fear and uncertainty yeah as well absolutely absolutely so how we so 
so part of what we do in terms of rehabbing for uh, for FND is essentially to change the change how the mind focuses its attention because it can be if you think about sensory regulation emotional regulation pain regulation they're all interconnected and this comes from um don't know if you've come across dr jessica eccles um yeah yeah yeah, the bendy brain um account on instagram she's amazing i do some work with um the sussex eds connective yeah EDS and FND, they're EDS, FND, fibromyalgia, POTS, long COVID, it's all a bit interconnected where essentially you can have really noisy nervous systems. And if your nervous system is really noisy, it can then be hard to figure out what's going on because there are lots of competing signals coming up from a body that the brain can't interpret. there's that mind body link that's why that's so important absolutely and people think that it is the brain that tells the body whether whether to be safe or not but no the body can also tell the brain whether it's say whether it's safe or not and sometimes that's probably really important for people to know listening to this actually yeah Um, again we're kind of just deconstructing some of those myths or misunderstandings about what fd is Absolutely, absolutely. So it's a connection. So it's not just the connections between the brain telling the body what to do. It's also what are those signals telling the brain, and how can the brain interpret those? How can it interpret it accurately, and how can you predict what's going to happen? So lots of what we do in the first kind of stages is helping people get a really clear understanding of what FND is. So in terms of we can like bust some myths essentially so it is not progressive so it can fluctuate and it can sometimes get worse but that is not because bits of the brain are progressively changing irreversibly really important to get across because when you come back to that uncertainty and fear one of the things our brain is great at isn't it it's fast forward to this is the future and this is how things are going to be absolutely absolutely and it's because essentially the brain is adapted and the brain's adapted essentially with the threat system of the brain has basically made too many instant connections with the motor cortex of the brain. And so threat, motor symptoms, threat, motor symptoms or threat changing tone in your body. So you can become really floppy or it can change or you can have different types of seizures, like more generalized seizures. And again, it's important because there is this overlap with non with functional symptoms and organic symptoms you do really do need to get checked out by a neurologist who can essentially fnd is also not a diagnosis of exclusion where you've ruled everything else out and then okay so it might just be fnd no good point yeah there are particular ways in which fnd responds that makes Mm -hmm. it a really positive a positive diagnosis that we know fnd responds in that way so if you've got a tremor and you are and you are tremoring and what we can often do it doesn't what we can often do is we can ask people it basically it goes away with distraction so you ask somebody with a non-affected limb to copy you and then if and then because basically our mirror neurons start kicking off and we we are social animals and we like to copy what somebody's doing so yeah. with that distraction we can start repeating and there's a, something very important about rhythmical repetitive movements that help 
retrain the brain make us feel safe so sometimes it can be like what do we do when we've got a little tiny baby we rock right there is something very very like soothing around that and so what can happen is is. yeah absolutely and so when you've got this repeat so essentially you are concentrating on the non-affected limb and you are copying what the person in front of you is doing and then that usually results in the tremor stopping because you are not paying attention to the affected limb and you are concentrating on something that is unaffected the other thing that you can also do is essentially it's and it this comes around to um psychological mechanisms around performance anxiety or performance psychology where you can guarantee you can trigger off fnd symptoms by asking somebody to do a movement yeah (laughs) like on demand right can you lift your arm like no no whereas if you then threw a ball at somebody you'd be able to do it switches your brain off and allows your body to do it automatically I'm so glad this is visual, this podcast now as well. It's just auditory <laughs> so people can see what you're doing. See, that's the, that's the other thing as well. I think in terms of dispelling myths, if anybody has ever had the yips when they are playing golf or like other kinds of sports, you've essentially tapped into certain mechanisms that are at play with FND. So we've all had that oh. experience, haven't we, where... Some days you can just like hit the ball, kick the ball, shoot the netball in, in the net, whatever it is, and you just yeah. know exactly where your body's going to be. You can just like do it. You're in the zone. You're in this beautiful flow state. Lovely. And then you get days when you can't hit it for toffee and you just like, and you get more and more frustrated. You focus on it more and more and then it gets even worse. That big cycle, as we call yeah. it, cycle of symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I always ask people. Have you ever had this experience before in a non-like threatening way? What do you do? People inevitably say, oh, do you know what? I go away, I shake it off and then I come back. And that's exactly what we want people to do when they are having motor symptoms. Don't hyper focus on it. Take a bit of time, distract yourself with something that brings you joy. It could be listening to it could be speaking to somebody that you love it could be having a bath or it could just even be like rubbing some hand cream doing something that is an automatic movement and once that automatic movement comes in you it then starts to retrain your brain for those automatic movements to become you don't have to think about it again so that's kind of then I guess impacting on that uncertainty and that fear because you're taking the power out of the situation as well absolutely and what we do the number one thing that we can do is provide psychological safety with the symptoms so if they happen you've got plan a plan b plan c plan d all in there so okay if i am out and i get my speech starts to go or my leg starts to go am i going somewhere where i can sit down am I going with somebody who I can just say like actually I'm I'm starting to like get a bit fatigued or my symptoms are starting to come on can you help me find somewhere so I was also incredibly lucky because my husband was just it was and is amazing he had this just lovely balance between being empathetic and supportive 
but not taking things away from me. So they're kind of allowing your autonomy. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it kind of had to happen because he travels a lot and he couldn't stop work. So I was being a single parent to a four-year-old, so I had to do stuff. It may not have been exactly how I needed to have done it. That kind of dealing with other bits of adversity that get sent our way. Yep, yep. So, yeah, I wasn't able to cook the home-cooked food for a while because I couldn't stand up without getting wobbly for a while. But I did it come up. And again, I had the privilege to be able to afford, like, ready-cooked and ready-prepped meals. So I basically lived off those pre-cooked salmon fillets, microwave rice and salad. Because I was like, that takes me two minutes and I know it's and I know it's healthy. I've got my protein, I've got my carbohydrates and I've got my veg. And I don't have to worry too much about cutting a knife or, or cutting stuff with a knife or anything like that. It's giving and, yourself a bit of compassion, really, a bit of space to just recover. Which brings us on to what also helps us feel psychologically safe is if we can be turned towards our symptoms with kindness and compassion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what? having a bad day today and so I can only give maybe 20-30% today but if I give that 20-30% I've given all I can give today and so I love that model yeah yeah absolutely and it's having boundaries as well by being able to say to people do you know what I can't do that or I might not be able to do that today so or I might not I want to come and see you, but hold in mind, I might have to like bail at the last minute. So don't, but I will let you know as soon as I can. And is it all right to bring in? Because I just want to differentiate as well, because some people are really aware of this term avoidance, you know, that sometimes we may just pull away from stuff due to fear, anxiety. This is different, isn't it? That that model of what can I do right now? And there may be times when I'm not able or I need to turn around and go home. But that's very different from pulling away and imagine there might be people with FND where avoidance does show up and how you kind of just differentiate the two so for me avoidance is not even contemplating it It is too difficult to even think about it so it's an automatic no before you've even thought about it whereas whereas having boundary because also the other thing is as well is that um if thinking around neurological fatigue and boom and bust as well that's also people who go beyond what their limits are because they feel like they have to or they should and then they end up having a massive crash or because it's too threatening to their sense of identity to be someone who is unreliable or to someone who can't start and finish something so quite often when we're talking about neurological fatigue it's like I am absolutely shattered but I have to finish the dishwasher because I know I won't be able to rest in all the time while knowing that I've half done it so I am halfway through doing this but I have to finish it because even if I sit down I won't be able it'll just be going round and round in my mind and then what we do is we essentially say, so both have a cost, right? Yeah, weighing it up. Weighing it up. And if you are mindfully choosing to push past your physical limits. Yes. Because you know that the cost to you, but then you can fully rest after that. 
are you doing it mindfully? I, I think this is also what we do. We bring self-compassion, we bring yes. mindfulness and intention into when you have limited energy and when you have limited capabilities, it is thinking about are you using your limited energy and things that you value, bring you joy or speak to you or move you closer to who you want to be as a person? I love values. I do it all the time in my clinical work. And I think it can really help when you've having, especially if um, you might be a psychologist who's kind of familiar with FND, you may have a relative with it, but if you're someone who's never come across it, can you imagine just how much fear and uncertainty there can be? And sometimes it'd be really hard to know where we've got control and we might kind of doom scroll to the future. So to come back to values, I always think it's just the most positive thing you can have in a situation, what really matters to me and, Therefore, what choices do I have in this moment to help me try and move towards those? Absolutely. And the thing around values is that you never actually get there. So, but it honours the intention of like the, yeah. the start where you're at. Takes and the pressure off the goal-orientated kind of society that we're still in a little bit, aren't we? I must oh. do, I've got to tick it off, got to be measurable, attainable, you know. Hustle culture, oh, yeah, yeah, hustle culture. Yeah. And have to, yeah, be productive in everything that you do as well. It can be so, so tricky. And I also forgot to mention another particular symptom of FND, which is brain fog or functional yeah. cognitive yeah. symptoms, which goes across lots of people's experiences. It's not just yes. a so this is where essentially your your attentional capacity is completely overloaded. So it's really hard to make decisions. It can be really hard to make decisions. It can be hard to like use information. It might be that you've, I remember not being able, I lost, I lost my keys in the house. They knew they were in there somewhere because obviously I'd got into the house. I had driven yeah. back, got into yeah. the house. They must be there somewhere, could not find them. It was five minutes before we had to leave for the school run. The most precious time of the day or it is in my house. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I have no idea where they are. And I couldn't problem solve it. I had no resources to be able to pause and to think and to where are my backup plans. And so I became really, and, and that actually resulted in me having a, a seizure because I was just like, oh. I am so overwhelmed. I am yeah. so because in my head it was not an option to be late for school yeah. and if you think about it now like of course it's an option to be late to be late for school of course we, like what is the worst that will happen but again, I call it parent book of shame as I call it oh, you have yeah. to sign that book yeah it on a pedestal do not go there <laughs> How does everybody else get to do this? How is everybody else able to find their keys? Everybody else manages to do this with more children than I have. There's a good old comparison with others <sighs> thrown right on in there as well. Yeah. yeah. And so what I did is, again, my husband helped me because like, he's very, very logical and very kind. Having that like, support, someone else to just lean in with you. Absolutely. absolutely. And so what we did was we... so. And it's and it's all these things that we we talk about all the time. So I now have a place where I put my keys every time. That isn't guaranteed because sometimes I will get distracted and I will put them various places. 
So what I have is a tile app on my keys and I have the tile app on my phone and then I either can find my phone or I can find my keys <laughs> and each one helps me find the other. I also have a spare set of keys in, in a drawer which never goes anywhere. So it what it doesn't stop actually now that I've more recovered I do have more attentional capacity and I rarely lose yeah. my keys as much but if that ever happens I don't get overwhelmed and I don't panic because I've got the backup of and I, that's what provides me with psychological safety. So doing some of that kind of preventative in a way stuff just thinking about what can I learn from this moment but it might also be useful in future moments as well. Absolutely. And what we what we do in, in the rehab is essentially make the symptoms understandable, takes the yeah. threat down, makes the symptoms yeah. predictable. Like this morning, this is like mornings are probably like quite tricky for me. So I need quite a lot of structure to help me. Yes. Yeah. In the morning. OK, so then when it does happen. I've almost predicted it. I've predicted it. So then yes. I don't get into threat mode. So then I feel psychologically safe and then I know what what. I can do to get out of this it's a nice pathway that actually quite accessible for people to try and people listening now who may be brand new to FND or in the middle of getting a diagnosis or even further along the line that's very accessible very usable isn't it and and very translatable actually to individuals yeah and what understandable looks like to you will be very different to what it might look like to somebody else because the thing is is because FND is such a variable condition everybody everybody yeah. presents with it slightly differently and what works for different people is varied so you have to work in a really person-centered way which I love actually because yeah. I think there's far too much out there at the moment of kind of one size fits all sticking plaster you know that's my bug there <laughs> you know just because actually that it's, it's really unhelpful for some people because then they feel they're not doing well and I'm not doing what everyone else is doing or why isn't this working for me that kind of bespoke person-centered model I think is really refreshing um, and, and might create more of a kind of a core shift in how you respond and, and, and manage your symptoms and what I've done particularly differently when I work with how I've developed my practice since the time I've trained when working with people with FND is actually I do far more somatic body up work it works so much quicker than thoughts because you can't always control the feelings you can't control your these FND symptoms and that's I think where sometimes and actually ironically with FND the more you try to control them yes you try to force your way through them the worse it gets so So for people listening is it all right to just clarify what somatic that might be a new concept oh yeah yeah yeah. of course somatic basically means like what's going on in your body okay and i can do a couple sorry my cat's decided to. i love that i was just gonna say we've got an extra visitor always love always love to see people's pets So I can do a couple of exercises, which actually we we try to um, yes. support people to create that body up sense of safety. It's basically yes. the signals that your body does when we feel safe Yeah, can tell your brain that you're feeling safe, even when you're in threat mode. And yes. they're quite simple, quite easy to, to think about uh, and implement. So we could try a couple now that would be fantastic yes (laughs) (laughs) so if you think about it when we're anxious what do we do 
our shoulders go up. Absolutely. We lean forward. Shoulders are up to my earlobes when I'm stressed. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and our doors and our eyes are quite open. Because if you think about it, when we're under threat, we need to be ready to go. Yeah, we need absolutely. to be seeing everything. Like, yeah. And also we start breathing really shallowly as well. And so what we do is we deliberately make an effort to do the opposite. So we kind of lean back. I'm going to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> we take a deep breath. Close our eyes if we feel safe. And then give a very small closed mouth smile. Because again, we only smile when we feel safe. We can only close our eyes when we feel safe. I like that. And just invite to think about what's that like? Lovely on a Friday morning. Yeah. <laughs> I could feel a little bit of sun on me as well, which is extra nice. Yeah. And I've got quite a high energy, don't know if that's come across. And that just gives a little moment of Yes. We're quite oh. similar on that level, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. And what that does is it sends safety signals to your brain. And also you can do them and you can do this pretty much anywhere where you're sitting down and it won't look that strange. Yeah, it's really portable, as I call it, you know, really you can do really it wherever. Cool. And the chair's doing the work, which I like. It's just supporting you so you can allow yourself to just be in that moment, can't you? Absolutely. And it also doesn't ask you to pay too much attention to what's going on in our body, because I think sometimes with traditional mindfulness exercises, they can focus yeah. too yeah. much on your body might not be a safe place. Your thoughts yes. might not be safe. Your feelings might not be safe. When so, you add all that together, what yeah. that can then create. Yeah. I do remember trying to do some mindfulness of thoughts when I was really dysregulated. And yeah, no, so and what, kind of part of this is educating people around that because again when we come back to that kind of sticking plaster model sometimes that mm. one size fits all do this do that it's about finding out and testing what works for you yeah and, and so absolutely so for me it's um sound like because it gets my attention outside of my body so it's the one thing that helps me still and 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 settle so Another couple, of, another couple of exercises I can do, and again, it might. Again, this is both of them. Try to I try to do them to be quite portable. Yes, so yes. I, I'm, I'm taking that, Tara. If that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> try and relax your tongue. Just see where your tongue is, and just relax your tongue. That never happens because I talk all the time. This will be a first on the podcast. <laughs> Notice where it normally goes and then just try and bring it down to the bottom of your mouth. Where does I it like rest? that one? Yeah. It's resting. Yeah. <laughs> well, first, I didn't think I was going to get stuff out of this today. <laughs> A lot of people listening to this will be like, yes, she's going to stop talking now. But it, it works quickly. Yeah, and it, it really does. Yeah. For those people who may be listening to us, if it's on the audio version, it really does. That was just seconds. Yeah. Another thing as well, which works if you've got, um, if you're feeling a bit spacey or a bit, um, got some vestibular issues. Now, if you've really got vestibular issues, hold in mind that 
don't want to like do this exercise and when you fall down backwards or anything. So just know you're right, just being... for people that may be not familiar with the word yeah, vestibular. Yes, and what that is for people. Yeah, of course. So vestibular essentially is around balance. So yeah. in order to know whether we're standing upright, our brain needs to be able to interpret information from our spine if we're standing upright. It needs to know information from our joints about where our body is and yeah. also our eyes. And then what happens with vestibular issues is that essentially your the information coming up from all of those three things are not vibing together. They're not being integrated yeah. in a seamless way. And then that can cause us to feel dizzy or um, if we close our eyes, like fall over a little bit because we're yeah. over relying yeah. on our eyes or um, that horrible vertigo feeling. I'll be honest with you, out of all of the symptoms I've ever had, like vertigo, yeah. zero out of five stars on TripAdvisor, do not recommend it. Yeah. 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 Um, this comes from my colleague Lizzie Locke down in down in Brighton who's an amazing vestibular physiotherapist and what she talks about is essentially squeezing our shoulder blades together so, so you're listening we're doing this now on our video version yeah. aren't we so try that so try that and essentially squeezing your shoulder blades together it gives you a really strong sense of squeeze that is in your control and gives a really strong message about where you're spine is where your body like is that. yeah <laughs> and, it, and it so what it does is it engages your cranial sacral system so the bottom of your brain to the bottom of your spine and it like strengthens it well, i'm going to be doing that more and more often sometimes when you've been sat at your desk a long time or looking at screens that's when sometimes you can notice some vestibular i noticed a lot of people during the pandemic struggling with that I'm going to be using that at my desk. Absolutely. And then what that does is it gives our brain lots and lots of information. That, but yeah. we're in control of it. It's not happening outside of our yes. control. Yeah. And so that can help us feel grounded and safe. Yeah. So. I've learned, <laughs> I've learned lots today. Because <laughs> um, what I want to demystify about functional neurological disorder as well is, um, and I know we're kind of coming Towards the end we're gonna have to do more episodes there's yeah. so many things i want to cover with you i've had loads of people that have come on for multiple episodes and people really like that absolutely so um what i want to demystify about is that it is a common condition there are treatments yeah. physiotherapy yeah. treatments occupational therapy treatments psychological treatments as well that can help to help people recover Unfortunately, yeah. access to them is not always great, and that I think would yes. be a subject for another podcast. Yeah. Um, but it is reversible. It also doesn't mean that you're mad. It doesn't mean that you are, because also part of the thing as well is that because it, it's fluctuating, it's really hard to be believed, and being invalidated is one is also a really key trigger for for symptoms as well. And I see that a lot actually in patients that I work with you know that because it, as you say it isn't something where you get quite bad and then you recover on this lovely line and mm. um, that sometimes the people around them struggle with that and there can be a sense of am I not doing things right or is this in my head as you say all yeah. of those myths yeah and also if you need AIDS but intermittently so it 
Again, we think yeah. that people who need wheelchairs need wheelchairs all the time. And then if you suddenly stand up out of it, yes, yeah, what are people going to think of you? That's really, and so then it can strengthen yeah. that I need to stay in my wheelchair as well, which is, and, and then avoid certain situations where you might not. That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, another myth as well that we need to focus on is, and so I can't remember if it was John Stone or Mark Edwards, they're like the, the kings of all things, it's FND, but one of them said that uh, trauma is to FND as smoking is to lung cancer. So it's a, it can be really, yeah. lots of people who've experienced trauma, well, lots of people with FND have experienced trauma, however, not everyone with FND needs to have a traumatic experience and it's really important yeah. to think about that because I think yeah. sometimes we can go well not some people who don't know the condition particularly well can go trauma hunting almost and I like yeah. what's well, so what's this hidden trauma that you've experienced and for some people it may be burnout it may be that yeah. um is it it's a bit of overwhelm. It could be that people have just not necessarily had the emotional literacy to name stress or overwhelm or anxiety. And then, yeah. And also sometimes as well, it doesn't, it can be debilitating for some people, but also where I get the most joy in my work is when I've seen somebody and they've had, say, for example, a functional stroke, they've turned up to A and A, they've had the scan and they've gone, like, this is F and D. Yeah. And they're and then I can see someone and I can give them some really good information to stop those kind of patterns embedding. And then quite often a one-off session is all, is all people need quite often. Remarkable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And, and I, this is where I'm going to end up ranting just a little bit, but I just can't imagine another condition where we would go, do you know what? We know what this is. There are positive signs of diagnosis. If you get early intervention, it can essentially prevent high levels of disability. Yes, yeah, but we're not going to yeah. provide intervention for it. And instead, we go for a two week week waiting list and special two year waiting list and specialist yeah. Yeah. center. Um, and here's a website. Good luck. On you go. I wish you well. Staggering. Yeah. The word that I, I would use. Yeah, absolutely staggering. Um, and maybe the next time we talk, we'll talk about it being a feminist issue <laughs> as well, because I think um, I think that would be really important to cover. And really do the kind of because sometimes you know on, on this podcast and as clinicians, you know, if we catch up and, and talk, you can help people understand, you can help people manage symptoms, but they've got to get access to that information, and that's where there's often quite a big void. Yeah, and, you know absolutely. how many people may be listening to this who are on that two year wait what kind of patterns and things are happening in that two years in terms of how they're responding to symptoms and what kind of value-based living are they able to do while yes. they're waiting absolutely and if you are waiting for a diagnosis or if you are have got a diagnosis and you're waiting for input fnd hope is an amazing website it's got some really good free resources and free i will mind. make sure these are in the show notes fnd hope Right. Yeah. Um, they have free resources. They have free information sessions. The information out there is really, right. really good quality. Uh, they're a wonderful charity, really passionate. And also neurosymptoms.org. That's developed by John Stone, who is 
uh, yeah, one of the world's leading experts in. in I'm going to go look those up as well. Because um, part of this podcast and the kind of philanthropic nature behind it is people having access. So we keep our show notes live so we can keep okay. adding things. So most people listen to podcasts won't go and type something in the internet. But if it's there in the show notes, all you do is click. So whatever you're listening on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, just go in the show notes and click the links are all live and they stay live and we can update them as and when. So kind of bringing on, obviously, we've got those two great websites, but I know most people are going to be going, how do we find you? <laughs> Where do you hang out? Because <laughs> we'll add those as well. So I hang out in Horsham. I've, my, my private practice is called Chess Web Psychology Services. Um, so you're literally and... round the corner, aren't you? Which yes. is fantastic for me. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I my uh, clinic rooms that I use are opposite the library in Horsham. And I also practice a lot online and I've seen people around the world. So, yeah, it's... And they're um, super lucky that they oh. get to see you. Ah, it's it's a joy and it's a pleasure. You're also on Instagram as well, aren't you? Yeah. I, I personally like your Instagram account because you share a lot of really good knowledge and you also dispel a lot of myths on there. Um, so I avidly follow. Remind me, what's your tag on Instagram? At Chessworth Psychology. Right, so I'll make sure that's in there. I always ask everyone that comes on, we've had loads of nuggets. If there was one adversity takeaway that you could give us, what might that be? Oh, that's weird. <laughs> so in terms of overcoming adversity, it would be learning to trust your body. Your body knows what it needs to do. Yeah. And trying to control what can't be controlled doesn't need us to be stronger we're actually stronger when we can be more flexible and have a wider range of options available to us is what I would say I love that (laughs) that controller did it could be so dominant it's like this kind of really unhelpful friend hanging around at times and we can almost like battle it can't we but just being kind and compassionate dropping that control agenda I love that yeah Tara Take care Thank of yourself you so and I will catch up with you. For coming right. on. Um, it's been amazing. Thank you for listening to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo, and it's been lovely having you along to listen to this episode. If you want to find more about me, you can find me at drtara.co.uk. So you'll see everything I'm up to, my media work, my collaborations, my clinical work, if you're interested in that. And of course, all the other episodes of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. If you're interested in coming on, you can also contact me and let me know what you would like to come and talk about. I'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm.